This is your host, Donna Barr, and welcome to A Bazillion Ghost Stories. I got this podcast done before, the day before Thanksgiving, when we were called by the clinic in Forks and told that everybody else had canceled on Moderna boosters for COVID and flu shots. So we went running down to get them. And then we came back and I cooked all day. So the next day we could have leftover Thanksgiving, which is the best Thanksgiving. And then right now the pain is really setting in. So by the time you hear this on Thursday morning, we should be okay. But we got that taken care of. And now everybody else has left the neighborhood knowing that we will be here. And everybody knows that if there's any trouble for our property or any other property, we will bother the police. And the police do not want to hear from me. So I'm still alive and not screaming. Uh, I missed a board meeting for the Lions Club because we were going to talk about having Clallam Bay Comic Con down in the Lions Club building again. They said they're all for it, so I wouldn't have to show up. So I'll let you know what's going on. And so, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'm just going to lay here with chills and fever and aches and miseries uh, watching Murder, She Wrote with Angela Lansbury, which we have never seen. And if you wonder what's that in the background, Dan is doing the dishes from Thanksgiving today. So see you tomorrow. There's a reason I called this episode Generosity Day rather than Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving has become associated with a lot of things that are probably not as pleasant as they should be. But I do have a story up here that was, to me, more about the sharing of what we have. We go to the food bank, especially on the holidays. And the more people go to the food bank, the more food is allotted to food banks. So everybody up here goes to make sure there's always enough food. Well, one year, a lot more people needed Thanksgiving than would normally show up. And the hours were slightly different on a different day. Dan and I got up to the church, which was acting, acting as the food bank up in CQ. And we got the last box and bag. And as we're heading out the door, a car pulls in. Little skinny blonde thing gets out, and she's got a car full of, it had to be at least three kids, which is a car full of kids. And as she's coming up, she says, oh my God, I'm late. I mistook the time. Do they still have any left? And I said, oh, this is the last one. And the look on her face. The last time I saw a look like that was when we got our two kittens who we call the potatoes, they've passed on now. But years ago, I went down to the Safeway and there was a woman with a box in which there was a pillow. And under that pillow was a tiny, black, fluffy kitten. 
and she was trying to give away kittens. Now, this poor woman obviously had not had enough to eat, and she had a baby under one arm, and she had recently lost her housing, but she was trying to find homes for the kittens. It's always the poverty-stricken who are going to try to help. So I said, look, if nobody else takes that kitten when I come back out, i got to get my shopping done, then I'll take the kitten. I don't know why I didn't take it right then, but, you know, you can only do so many things at one time. So I come back out, and she has such a stricken look on her face. She says, he brought the other one back. And she pulled up the pillow, and there wasn't just the little black kitten that would become Shadow, and the little gray kitten that would become Fearless was there. And I looked at her and the fact that there was rain starting and she had a baby under one arm. And I said, give me the kittens, get the baby out of the rain. And that's what you do. You do the right thing. So this woman's face fell. That was the look she had on her face. She had a car full of kids and no Thanksgiving. I looked at Dan. I could see what he was thinking. I handed her the box and the bag. And she said, but you won't have a Thanksgiving. And I looked at her like she was crazy and said, you have children. So that's why we call it Generosity Day, because that's what you're supposed to do is share and help. And it's not just a matter of feeling better about yourself or anything like that. It's just the right thing to do. So happy Generosity Day. Halloween's over, and here we are in a beautiful November, and I'm just going to tell more odd stories. One of the first times I attended a science fiction convention, I was talking to someone at the convention, some guy, and I don't know what brought it up, but they, he said, I, I will be able to find you at any time at this convention, so name a time, and I'll be there. I says, you mean like for a panel or something? And he went, no, just name a time and I will find you. Well, this convention, which I think was Dragon Con at the time in Atlanta, Georgia, was spread out all over town through many buildings the way San Diego Comic Con is now and the way Angoulême in France is. So I said, okay, you're on. I think we bet a beer or something. So about 10 o'clock that night, I think it was, I, I just sat myself down, and he showed up. And I says, okay, were you following me? And he says, no, I just knew you'd be here. And, well, what told you that I would be here? This is pre-cell phone. It wasn't like he was tracking my phone. And he says, oh, it's your aura. I said, my aura? He says, yeah. It's red and black and about the size of a football stadium. And all I had to do was set her on that. And I said, okay, which I thought was a little odd, but he did find me. In gay districts, as they used to be called, you often see very fabulous drag queens, and you wonder how long it took them to become that gorgeous, and why you never see any baby queens. You never see anyone who 
looks as though they're just learning to be a drag queen. And of course, I'm talking about um, city areas, uh, more populated areas, where you have these professional-looking uh, queens, and you wonder where the, where, the, where the kids are, because every girl remembers learning how to use makeup and how to use the right socks and put the right fashion on, and we looked crappy. So we had to learn, and you see a lot of girls having to learn like this, but where where do these girls come from? Or guys, as they prefer to be called sometimes. So I was in Bremerton, and there was a local uh, drag lady. It was very tall, very, very thin uh, young black man, and she would walk around Bremerton in various outfits, and she did seem like she was learning. And at one point, she comes, and I can use no other term, but sashaying down uh, the road near a restaurant. Now, at the back of this restaurant, there was a bunch of shipyard workers that would always play mahjong. And I know in a lot of other places, that's where old Jewish ladies play mahjong, but these were shipyard workers, old guys and younger guys. And it was all kinds of folks. There was Americans and Filipinos and Germans and all kinds of people that were playing Mahjong. And uh, so our friend comes just prancing down the road there. And she was wearing a very flouncy white dress covered with giant black polka dots and black stockings and black high heels. Now, none of those look good on her. Her legs look like sticks. Uh, her feet looked wrong. It was just completely wrong. And at that point, everybody that was playing Mahjong stopped and stared. And I thought, oh my God, we're going to have some kind of awful homophobic incident here. And one of the old white guys just kind of shook his head and went, mm, mm, mm. that boy just cannot wear polka dots. And a few years later, I swear to God, I saw her on Broadway in Seattle, up in the gay in the gay area, Capitol Hill, and she was perfect. Everything was right. She had the right clothes, the right makeup. But now I'm wondering if a lot of these baby queens don't come from rural areas where they practice first, and nobody in the more professional areas has to see how they started. I was looking up the origins of the word hobo, and there must have been 20 different reasons for where the word came from. So I think I'll just add one more since everybody else is guessing. I was watching an early Russian movie with lettering on the screen, and one of the words that came up was novo, which means new, but... It looks like in the um, Cyrillic spelling, it resembles the Latin alphabet spelling H-O-B-O, which is hobo, meaning, well, was a hobo a runaway serf that was a new person in the community? I guess I can guess as well as the next person. (laughs) 
As I mentioned, it's a beautiful day today, and it was a beautiful day in Columbus, Ohio, where I was attending Ohio State University. Dan and I were once sitting in our apartment, and all day long there had been fireworks going on outside. I was doing homework or learning to play the bagpipe or something, and finally he said, you know, one of us should go out and see what's going on. And first of all, Dan was a door gunner in Vietnam, so he knew what heavy machine guns sounded like. Maybe he wasn't quite so aware of what lighter arms would sound like. So I go down the stairs, look out the door, and the whole street is full of police cars because there is a couple engaged in a gun battle running up and down the street. Uh, one has got a BB gun, the other one's got a small pistol, and the wife has got a baby under her arm and they've been doing this all afternoon and this may not be a ghost story but i'm not quite sure how you could get any scarier this was a kind of a low-class neighborhood to the point that we didn't even have any prostitutes there nobody would was there at all uh except for one girl in a raincoat and some rubber boots and there was a couple of kids, including one we call Tank Top, that would go around and roll homeless people. Yeah, this was a great neighborhood. But we would sit down on the stoop at night. It was hot, and people couldn't sleep, and we're sitting there with some of the neighbors. And there was one drug dealer, and he would come around with his gang of drug mules for like 8, 10, 12-year-old boys, and at one point, uh, the drug dealer's car is slipping through the neighborhood, and we're watching this go on. And one of the kids in the back of the car threw a big old chunk of drugs to one of the drug mules, and the kid yelled, you know, this was actually a brick. And the kid on the street yelled, what's that? The kid in the back of the car yelled, it's a toke. And they're doing this in front of all these people. We're all laughing. And the drug dealer, who, of course, none of them wants to be noticed, uh, just wishes, you know, I think he wishes that he and all the kids could just disappear because uh, this is all he's got to work with. And I probably should tell you another story here about our neighborhood in Bremerton, and uh, we always end up in drug neighborhoods, but then again, how can you not end up in a drug neighborhood in America? Ah! You know, the whole place is crazy. And at one point, I got so tired of the nonsense that I just pulled an old Detroit trick, and I put a sign up in our front yard that said, drug parking, 15-minute limit. And that kind of made all the dealers and their customers leave because the last thing they want is notice, but the police thought it was hilarious, and so did our neighbors. And sooner or later, I took the thing down because it didn't really seem to work that well anymore. It hadn't been doing a good job, but everybody thought it was really funny. So when I put it, took it down, they were like, man, you took our sign away. So, yeah, drug, drug parking, 15-minute limit. You're not supposed to bicycle drunk in Seattle, but I had gotten down to the Seattle ferry. I was still pretty buzzed, and I figured, okay, I'm safe getting out of here so I can get across the way back when I lived in Bremerton. And there was a motorcycle troupe that was waiting to get on the ferry, too. And these weren't your uh, hobby grandpas. These were 
This is a bunch of motorcyclists. This is, these are bikers. So we get on board, and it's way crowded. And I sat down in was like the last empty booth when I got myself together. And I had, as I often did, I entertained myself by drawing on something. And I didn't have anything else except my bare hand. So with a red pen, I was happily drawing things on my hand. A biker came along, asked if he could have the seat. And I says, yeah, sit down. And at that point, I had stopped drawing on myself, and I was just sitting there on the ride. It takes about an hour going to Bremerton from Seattle. And he looked at my hand, and he says, those are beautiful tattoos. And I says, oh, they're not tattoos. I'm an artist. I was drawing on myself. Well, if you tell somebody that you're an artist, they want to know what you do, especially if you tell them you're a comic book artist. And so I told him about the Desert Peach which was the one I was really pushing at the time. And that's the story about the Desert Fox's gay brother. It's an imaginary person based on one of the brothers that actually died as an infant, but it turns out that Rommel actually had a gay brother named Carl, which makes sense because there was a bunch of brothers, and Carl is one of the younger ones, and that's what happens normally. You have a bunch of boys, the latter ones are going to more possibly be gay or bisexual or whatever. But they will not be what our society for so long has called normal. Now this guy's looking at me, and I think we've all had a little beer, so we're a little bit more mellow. And people will tell me things about their personal life. That includes up here, things they have not told their families, nobody knows about, but they'll tell me because they know that I will not try to hurt them. So this guy said very quietly, as a child, he had been raped by his father. And did that make him gay? And he met himself. And I says, well, first of all, you've got some confusion over this. You're born gay. You don't get, quote, made gay. You are who you are at any given time because that's the way your body is. And your dad was not gay. He says, but he had sex with a boy. I said, your dad was a pedophile. Now, a pedophile, and this is what they get wrong, especially the Republican Party, who uh, have really gone over the top with calling drag queens pedophiles and accusing Nancy Pelosi's husband of being gay and therefore a pedophile and therefore he should be attacked with a hammer. This, these, these insane excuses have been going on forever. And I says, no, your father was a rapist of vulnerable children. And since girls are more carefully protected up to a point in our society, boys are available. And so the pedophiles will rape the boys. So this does not make you gay, unless you are, and it does not make your dad gay. Your dad was a pedophile. Your dad raped children. If girls had been available, he probably would have been going after them too. He was the worst kind of bully. And this seemed to help this man. So my long, I can't call it study, of the situation of being not what our society calls quote-unquote normal seemed to have helped someone 
to come to terms with what his dad had done to him, especially when I told him, you were a little child, you were a victim, this was not your fault. So, happy generosity day. When we were sitting out on that stoop at night, it was especially beautiful sometimes because somebody had planted white irises and they were stunning in the dark. They night bloomed and they were silver and gray and they looked like they glittered. It was gorgeous. You could see through them. But that was something you could enjoy at night. But at one point we're sitting out there and the cops scroll up and they want to ask what those other plants in the front strip in front of the apartments are. And we all said, Oh no, they've been, you know, weeds, I guess. We don't weed the place. And they said, that's marijuana. And we said, well, that's not a big surprise because everybody we know, all the kids around here sit out on the front stoop smoking marijuana. And they said, well, who is it? And I said, I don't know, just kids. I guess you'd have to talk to the neighborhood. And they just shook their heads because, my God, that would be like trying to catch tadpoles. It was ridiculous. So, yeah, <laughs> there was there was another apartment where they kept um, pigs in the basement. You know, don't even ask. Just that kind of apartment, that kind of apartment block in Columbus, Ohio, when I was going to school, because I'm sure everybody else has stayed in places like that when they were going to college. Would you like to be part of this podcast? You can go to anchor.fm slash Donna dash bar and you can leave me a voice message with your story that can become part of this podcast. If you would rather have me read it, send a PDF or PDF, double spaced, larger type to DonnaBar01 at gmail.com. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash Donna Barr. And finally, if you would like to know anything about what I've done in my life that has to do with my work, conventions, etc., go to DonnaBarr.com. Hope to see you there. I will also put all this information in the program notes. A spooky...